Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming out this morning, and a special welcome to those that are joining us online from the safety and comfort of their duvets, <laughs> I hope. Um, I feel like I missed an opportunity this morning, because I feel like if I'd preached on Noah's flood, it would have been ideal. It would have been like the lessons we learned from Noah's ark. But we haven't, and we're not doing that. Um, so I thought we'd have a bit of fun this morning with some words. Is that okay? Are we, are, we, are we in the mood to think this morning a little bit to start off with, okay? So I am, first and foremost, you know, most of you know I'm a, I'm a primary school teacher, um, but I also oversee the English. And so first and above all else, I'm an English teacher, and I love words. I always have. I mean, if you can break down words and understand what words mean, you can often work out their, their meaning and context, even if you've never come across them before. Is there anyone who's like that, or is it just me? It's just me. Oh, there we are, Michelle, who's also an English teacher at the back. Thank you. Thanks, Mish. Um, so anyway, a few years ago, before COVID, we went away on, the, on a school tour, the grade sixes. We took the kids away on tour. And for the tour for teachers is largely just sitting around watching the kids do their activities because they've got their facilitators. And so my colleagues and I, maybe it's just a teacher thing, we ended up coming up with word games, which now that I say it out loud, sounds a bit sad. And maybe a bit nerdy, but it was lots of fun. And it kept going for a few months, even after the tour, where we would try and find a word to stump each other. Like, have you ever heard this one before? Have you ever heard that one before? So I'm going to throw out a couple of names that you may or may not have heard this morning. If you know what they mean, shout the meaning out at me. And um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing all of them correctly, because I've read them often, many of them for the first time as I was researching this. So excuse my pronunciation if you do know what it means and you have heard it. But has anyone heard of a glabella before? Glabella, the name is up there. Anyone know what that is? It's the name, sorry? A bacteria. No, not quite. <laughs> That's my husband. No. Um, it tastes like chocolate. <laughs> um, glabella. Okay, so the glabella, believe it or not, is actually the name given to the space between your eyebrows. Did you know that your eyebrow space had a name? And that name is glabella. So the space between your eyebrows is your glabella. This one you may have heard of. Anyone know what an aglet is? Anyone heard of an aglet before? Who said that? Yes, absolutely. An aglet is the little, is the little, it's the name given to the actual little metal or plastic thingy that goes around the edge of a shoelace. Like we came up with a name for that thing. All right. So an aglet is, is the edge of a shoelace. Um, anyone heard of a nerdle? And no, it's not a person that makes up word games, okay? Not, nerdle, not that kind of nerdle. Um, you may have heard it, and it's not the plastic kind either, because we speak about the plastic nerdles on the beach. But the proper name for a nerdle, anyone? It is a small dab of toothpaste. Did you know even your toothpaste on your toothbrush has a name, and its name is nerdle? Rosquetta. Anyone heard of the name Rosquetta before? A type of cheese. No, not quite. Anyone heard of it? <laughs> so Rosquetta are actually the names that we give the, the creases we have on our, on our elbow, uh, on our wrists. Even our wrinkles have names, guys. Okay, Rosquetta. Um, Alumniscate. I've only got three more. Alum, Lemniscate. Lemniscate. Anyone heard of Lemniscate before? I'll show you the symbol. The Lemniscate is the proper name for the infinity sign. The Lemniscate. So now you can be all fancy when you speak about Lemniscate. This one is also when you see the picture, you'll know what it is. Don't show the picture yet. When you hear the word, an obelisk. Anyone heard of an obelisk before? 
Like a type of shape. Yes, it's a shape. And obelisk, you've all seen this before. You can show the picture there. Is the proper name for the divide sign. Everything you did in maths was about the obelisk. And the last one, this is my absolute personal favorite. It's a name called scurry fungi. Scurry fungi, anyone heard of it? We've all done it. It's that last minute cleaning you do when people are coming. You know when you've got guests arriving and you do a scurry fungi? That's the name of it. Yes, okay. So now you've all learned something new. And there is a point this morning. It's the grandiose word of the day, scurry fungi, all right? Um, but one of the greatest powers that we hold as humans, one of the greatest powers we hold as humans is the ability to name stuff. The English language is constantly expanding. I mean, 150 years ago, the word computer wouldn't have existed. Uh, cellular telephone, anything new, anything, internet, World Wide Web, all of these things are, are, are names that we've come up with to describe things that we've created in recent times. And, and words hold a lot of power, and it's one of our, believe it or not, God-given privileges to name things. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about names, and I've entitled this message, Who I Am Says I Am, because ultimately, I want to look at the greatest label that any of us will ever wear. And that's what this morning's message, the whole point of the message is. But like I said, one of the greatest privileges we've ever had since the dawn of time was the God-given privilege to name things. We see this in Genesis 2 verse 19. I think I've got the verse there. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. God made everything, and he brought it to Adam and said, What do you want to call it? And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Maybe it's just me as an English teacher who gets excited by that. But God has created us, and then he's given us the ability to design things and make things and to name things. And whatever we call them, that's what they are. The concept of naming, the concept of of creating and and naming something and calling it as it is, is a God-given, God-ordained privilege that we have. And although mankind has fallen since the Garden of Eden, it's not a trait that we've ever lost. We still name things. In fact, names play a huge role in the story of God. Right throughout Scripture, which is a book all about the people that, 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 are, that are in, right throughout the Bible, um, all the people that have had a, a hand in the story of God, you will see that from time to time, God will even change someone's name in Scripture. Have you, are you aware of that? Like Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah. I don't know if I said her first name right or not. And Saul became Paul, and even Simon became Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. And God will often name people and characters in his story according to the destiny and the will that he has for them. And it's the same is true today. God still has a name for each and every one of us. What, despite what we might call ourselves... God has a name for us, and this morning I want to I look at what the most important name that we've ever been called is. Because names do have importance, right? Uh, we do in, um, in history, in term three at school, we teach the kids all about the Constitution. And one of the things that always gets a bit of a snigger when I say this to the kids is, did you know that in the Constitution, amongst everyone's rights, you know, like you have the right to an education and the right to freedom of religion and so all those rights, one of the rights that's written there is that everyone has the right to a name 
Did you know that? That's in our constitution. And the kids are all like, of course everyone has a name. Like, isn't that the most obvious thing? That's like the first thing you get when you're born is your name, right? So names hold a lot of power, and we have the right to have the names. But I'm going to ask you this this morning. What is your name? You may bear more than one. There are several names. There are several labels that we attach to ourselves. And I know I've said it before. You know, my name's Charlotte. My full name, Charlotte Jane Vondachem. I went from King to Vondachem. Figure that one out, right? I'm a mom. There's a label. I'm a teacher. There's a label. I'm a friend. There's a label. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. There's other labels too. I procrastinate. There's a label. I can be negative. There's a label. You see, and as much as before the fall of man, we were given the privilege of naming things, I think sometimes we still have that, that, that privilege. We still name things. But sometimes the names that we give ourselves are not necessarily the names that God would have us carry and the labels that God would want us to have stuck on us this morning. Is this okay? Is this making sense? I mean, God himself has several names. I think there's over 72 names for God in our Bible alone, just in Scripture. We sang some of them this morning. Um, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain. We've got El Shaddai. We've got Jehovah. We've got Yahweh. We've got Adonai. There are countless names given to God throughout Scripture. And all of them are names given by his people in an attempt to try to describe something of God. So when God is Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider. And, and that's how the people viewed him and how they were trying to describe him at the time. But how do you describe a limitless God in limited terms in human-made labels, right? And so it's interesting if we go through scripture and we see what God says he is or who God says he is, um, the one and only time in scripture where God named himself. If we go to Exodus 3, verse 13 to 14, it's um, an exchange that happens between Moses and God, and the, the bush has just been burning, and Moses has just been called by God, and God has said, you're going to go to the, the Pharaoh, you're going to tell him to let my people go. And Moses says this to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I, what, then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God doesn't need a specific man-made label. He's 100% secure in who he is. When he goes, I am who I am, it's an all-encompassing term. He's saying, I am Everything, whatever you can put after I am, that is God. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am almighty. I am powerful. I am the name above all names. God takes that label. That is the label that God gives Moses and says, that's who I am. I am the great I am. First and foremost, above everything else, I am. God is. Do we get that this morning? Is that, it's, I, feel like, I feel like I might just be off on a tangent. People, it, it seems like such a simple term, but it, it's so profound. Because human words are not enough to describe our limitless God. How do you even describe someone? How do you describe a being who we, we, can, we can't even put into, into words? 
And he says, I am. That's who I am. I am who I am. He's not held down by labels. He simply is, right? So if I'm looking at a label for myself, shouldn't I look to the name above all names and see what he calls me? Because if he's 100% secure in his identity, then the identity he gives me, I can be 100% secure in. Does this make sense? I feel, I feel, I don't know if it's the rain or I feel like this morning is, is this, is this okay? I don't want it to be too much of a heavy, but my hope this morning is that at the end of this message, we'll put aside any other label that's been given to us, whether a positive one or a negative one, and we will pick up the name above all names, the label that he has given us. And time and time again in scripture, we find the label where he simply says, you are mine. I am who I am, and you are my children. In Romans 8 verse 14, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We who were once labeled with condemnation, we who were once labeled with sin and death, have had that label removed, and we are now labeled the children of God of the creator of everything in this universe. Is there anyone here who knows a celebrity? Ever, anyone ever bumped shoulders with a celebrity? I have Sia Khaleesi's socks at home. That's a long story. Hey, my love. But we, we have the socks proudly, right? And we're like, oh, celebrity status, celebrity status. I wonder if us, as, as God's church, as his children, if we've truly let it sink in that we are his. We are his children above all else. The name above all names has named us, and he's called us his. No matter what the world might call us, no matter what we might call ourselves, God first and foremost has called us his children. And because we are his children, we have a special name that we're allowed to call God. It's used only three times in Scripture. In the 72 different names for God, there's a word that you will see only three times used in relation to God. And I can see some of you nodding. You know what the word is. We said it this morning in, in, in the prayer meeting as well. Where's Raymond? You, you prayed it. That's the word Abba. Not dancing queen and Mamma Mia Abba. It's spelt the same way, different meaning. If you go to Mark 14, verse 35 to 36, the Bible says this. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. So he's praying in the, in the garden of Gethsemane. It says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And then Jesus says this, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus calls God one of the most intimate terms that you can call um, call God ever, and that is the word father. And you may have heard it translated as um, daddy or dad. It is that kind of connection, but more so than that, Abba is also the call. It's what we call a vocative in the English language. It's a, it's a sound we make that is, that, that is directed towards something or someone in particular. And the word Abba in this sense means a direct connection to God. You know, in the, in the, in the, 
I think it was during the Cold War, there was red telephones in the president's offices. Did you know that? The U.S. president and the Russian president each had a red phone. Did you know that? This might be bad, bad timing because obviously we're back in the middle of a Russian war. But they had these phones. And the president could pick up his phone on this end and phone the president on that end directly. It was a direct connection to each other, which meant there could be no blurred communication. There couldn't be any middlemen trying to like broken down telephone messages. It was a direct line. And as God's children, um, and what Jesus is demonstrating to us here is by calling out Abba to our father, we have a direct line to God as his children. We get to use that word too. It tells us in Romans 8 verse 14 to 15, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received, meaning the Holy Spirit, the spirit that, that came to be our comforter after Jesus had already ascended, the spirit you, you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. In other words, we are children. And by him, by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And you may be sitting there going, yeah, but I've heard the word father used in scripture before. Like, for example, didn't Jesus himself pray, our father who art in heaven? I mean, wasn't that earlier in scripture? Yes, it was. But the word father there, and like used in Isaiah, like Isaiah, I think it's 69, 13, speaks about the father. The father in that sense is a dad. it, It is your father, but it's more in a literal sense of being the leader of the family. Does that make sense? Whereas Abba is more of a connection. It's an intimate connection to that leader of the family. Is this making sense this morning? We see, when God calls us son or when he calls us daughter, when he calls us children, it's not just another label that he gives us. It's an all-encompassing term. The same way that he says, I am who I am. It kind of sums up everything that God is without needing too much of an explanation When he says, you are my children, it's an all-encompassing term. It's not just another label that you wear. It's not like, oh, what am I? I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a teacher, I'm a daughter, and I'm a child of God. No, I'm a child of God first and foremost in every aspect of my life. That is who I am. That is who I am says I am. And if we really take that, if we really believe that, We will start walking and working in the full power of God. I think the trick of Satan is not to turn us against God. I think it's sometimes to make us forget who we are in him. Sometimes there's that voice going, you don't deserve to be his child. I saw what you did. I heard what you said. I know what happened on this date in your history. You think God really would, you think he'd really be interested in someone like you? And we listen to that voice and we forget about the label that our father has put on us, which says you are forgiven, you are wanted, you are valuable, you are my children. Despite all else, in spite of anything and everything you have ever or could ever do, there is nothing that is going to separate you from the label that God has given you. My daughter's got this book. It's a pretty cool book. It's called The Little Girl Who Lost Her Name. Has anyone seen one of these before? And they're books that you actually get printed for your kids. And so I'll read you the the opening page, or the opening few verses, and it says this. One day a little girl awoke, sat up and rubbed her eyes, looked over at her bedroom door, and got a big surprise. Her name, which she had stuck there, had vanished, flown away. 
What exactly am I called? She wondered in dismay. She searched inside her wardrobe. She peered in all her drawers. She had a look beneath her bed, crouched down on all fours. What's this? A magic rainbow trail? It wasn't there before. Could that be where her name had gone? And did she dare explore? And then the book takes her on an adventure, and every character she meets gives her, gives her, her, her name, a, a letter of her name, until eventually she finds her name. In this case, this one's Lara, because that's my daughter. But this is the book, here. This is the adventure that we go on right here. And we go, Lord, I'm, I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling hopeless. I feel like I've lost my way. And he's like, do you dare explore? Let's go on an adventure. Let me show you what name I have called you. Let me, the name above all names, you can name everything else. Let your father name you. I was talking to John, my son, the other day. Um, we were in the car. Now I've completely gone off my notes. I was talking to him in the car. And um, I said, I love you, John. And he went, I love you, Mom. And then I thought, what does a five-year-old know what love is? So I said to him, John, do you, do you know what love is? It took him like two seconds. And he was quiet. And he went, it means you'll be my mom and my dad forever. How's that? That's a five-year-old. Why then, if the Bible says, I think it says it, and I really have gone off my notes, in Matthew 7, verse 11, paraphrasing, don't worry, it's not there. Matthew 7, verse 11, it says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father, your Abba, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to you? And so we sit going, no, Lord, I'm not worthy. No, there's no possible way you could want me. You say I'm your child. There's no ways. Lord, you, I know what I've done. You know what I've done. Let's leave it as that. And, and my five-year-old was like, no, when you love someone, they're yours, and they're yours forever. At least I know I'm in his top two favorite people in the world, eh? So at least someone likes me. Um, Galatians 4 verse 6 says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you his heir. Because we are children of God, we have access to the kingdom of God. And because we are his children, he expects us to use that heirship, that sonship, to bring his kingdom to, to this world, to show God's light, to show his favor, to show his, his fathership through us to those around us. We're not who the world says we are. We're not who we think we are. We're who God says we are, and he says we are his. 1 John 3 verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We belong to God. It's that simple. So I'll ask you again, what name are you wearing this morning? When you got up this morning and you put on the many name badges that you wear, some proudly, some not so proudly, what labels are there? And peel each and every one off and take the one that God has given us, the one that says, despite all else, you are mine. 
I am his. And wear that. Jesus said in Matthew 18 verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's a sermon series I've wanted to do forever. I was like, oh, we could, we could unpack a whole year on how to have not childish faith, but childlike faith. But first and foremost, and I think the main one out of everything, is the fact that children, my children at least, I don't know, I'm sure moms and dads here feel the same, and sometimes it can be a bit much. But I can always joke, maybe I shouldn't say this online. I haven't been to the bathroom by myself in years because I have like a permanent fan club who follow me around. But my children have no doubt that I am their mom. Does that make sense? As children of God, we should have no doubt that we are his. We are his sons. We are his daughters. My kids never doubt me for a moment. They never want to leave my side for a moment. And as a human, that can be tough to bear sometimes. But our Heavenly Father wants us there. He wants, to, oh, he wants us to be with Him. He wants us to want Him. He wants us to understand that we are His. In Romans 8, verse 38 to 39, it says this. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, let me add in there, nor the past, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are his. Nothing, no one, nothing past, nothing present, nothing future. Nothing of this world or of the next is able to separate you from the label that God has given you. And he has called you his. No matter what this world throws at us, we are his. I want to re read you one final thing this morning, and then there's something I just want to show those that are here. And the online, we'll, we'll put a link up for them. But this is a parable that Jesus shared and it's one that you'll know well. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was, a, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And make me like, sorry, but make me like one of your, your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion, compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If a heavenly father, uh, sorry, if an earthly father knows how to do that, how much more our heavenly father? Sometimes the only thing separating us from God, in fact, not sometimes, always, the only thing separating us from God is ourselves. When we refuse to acknowledge the fact we are, we are his, his, when we kind of put blinkers and blinders on and go, that's fine, I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not worthy to be your child, I'm not worthy to have that label, I'll just be a servant, I'll just be a slave, or better yet, I'll just remove myself from you altogether. And God's standing there waiting, going, I want my kids to come back. I want my children. I want that connection with them. And when he sees us coming, he doesn't wait and go, yeah, watch, here he comes, here he comes. Yep, nope, he's going to learn his lesson this time. What does the father do? He runs out to meet us. All we have to do is turn to his direction. And he does the rest. You and I, before we are anything else, are God's. We are his children. We are created by him, for him, and with a purpose that he has designed for each and every one of us. Do you wear his label this morning? I'm going to say goodbye to our online people. How are we on time? But we'll, we'll pray together first. And then I want to I play everyone else. I'm going to play you a song that really spoke to me. And I've got the lyrics up there. And um, I'll explain it more afterwards. But while you listen to those words, I'm going I'm to ask that you would truly ask yourself that question. Only you can answer it. You and God. Are you really wearing his label this morning? Or are you just trying to? Trying to keep up the appearance of it? Do you truly accept that he is your father, that he is your Abba, and that you can turn to him with anything and in any situation. Shall we pray together and then we'll watch the video. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit that allows us to cry out to you, Abba, Father. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that allows your, your ears to hear our prayers. Father, may each and every one of us sitting here this morning cast aside any other label. Father, anything that, that is not of you. And Lord, may we take instead upon ourselves the label that you have called us, the name that you have called us, Father. For your name is above all other names. And so, Lord, if we are looking for a label, may it be the one you give us as your children. Father, teach us what that means. Help us to understand what it is to be a child of God what it is to be one of your sons, one of your daughters, Lord. And Father, may we never fail to remember that label above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Are we offline?